Great to be here this morning. And the title of this message this morning is The Seven Sayings on the Cross. And last weekend was Easter. I trust you had an amazing time, amazing experience, and a remembering of what Easter was all about. I wear. You're a champion, brother. <laughs> it's going to everyone just now. So I may repeat a few things that were said on Good Friday and maybe on Easter Sunday, but that's okay because I don't think we can ever quite get enough information of the cross. So stay with me this morning. There's quite a few verses. AV's under pressure this morning, hence I had to give my crib notes to Jay because they wanted to load a lot, and um, yeah, I knew some of us wouldn't have our Bibles here this morning, so it should be on the top. Okay, so seven sayings on the cross this morning. In Corinthians, Paul declares the complete gospel here in Corinthians is that Jesus is the Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he was raised on the third day. It said in Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3, I tell you this of first importance. So yeah, we have Paul. He's probably preached a hundred sermons. He's probably written the most incredible letters. He's probably, yeah, just had, had people eating out of his hands. And yet he says, I tell you this of first importance. Jesus Christ died for your sins according for the scriptures. This is the most important thing that Paul is telling us. He probably could have taken us to this blog. He could have referred back to another preach of his. He could have referred to that investment. However, he says, I tell you this of first importance. Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. And that is the most important thing. If you've got your Bibles here, let's turn to Luke 23. As I said earlier, the heading of today's preach is seven sayings on the cross. How many of you know that listening to someone's last words is very important? And I'll give you a little bit of an example. You're sitting on the couch there with a, a friend, acquaintance, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, and you're watching a love story, and this actor or actress is on their deathbed. And if you like my butch, you're on the edge of your seat, because if you don't grasp those last words, you're going to lose the whole crux of the story. See, it's very important when a person dies, they have something called their last will and testament. And the family gather around after their passing and they read the last will and, and, and testament. And some people say incredible things. Some people say very stupid things. Some people abspute anger. But Jesus said seven things. Got those crib notes. <laughs> Jesus said seven things at the end of his life. And I believe we can build our church on the seven words he uttered from the cross that we can build our lives on and build our church on in the school hall. Let's go. Luke 23, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. See, we've got to remember something. Jesus isn't on a cross between two candles. Jesus is on a cross between two thieves. Just picture that. And I want to say today that if it's your first time in church, maybe you've been invited to church, maybe you're a thief. Maybe you've robbed God of your time. Maybe you've robbed God of your talents. Maybe you've robbed God of your money. Then you're in the right place. You actually know what? We're all in the right place. Because every single one of us, are sinners, 
and we're all in the right place today. You see, Jesus doesn't expect people to come to church. He will come to you, even if you're a crook. It's amazing. eh? Verse 35, the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. One of the fallacies, I think, of the cross is every picture we see, we see Jesus hanging up up there. And I try to do a lot of insight into this and, and Googling with my, my favorite Google. And I think the cross was most likely not that high off the ground. I don't think it was that high off the ground. So when it said that they sneered at him and spat at him, I don't think it was a long distance spit. I think it was a real in your face kind of spit, eh? Verse 36. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit your spirits cried out in a loud voice. In a loud voice. When he said this, he breathed his last. Let's turn to John 19. Guys, something about the Bible, we've got to bring our Bibles to church, and I'm not a reader. I've admitted that many times in life group and to my kids, unfortunately, but I don't like reading. But when you read something in the Bible and it jumps out at you and it becomes rhema to you, it's unbelievable. So I've got to challenge us, bring our Bibles to church, And you know, we read something there, and the curtain of the temple was torn into two. And I read it to the kids the other day, and little Carter says, Dad, you know, it was torn from the top to the bottom. I'm like, no, boy, why? He says, so man couldn't do it from the bottom to the top. That, to me, was rhema. And if the Bible comes out and sticks out like that to us, fantastic, eh? John 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. Say, I'm thirsty. How many of you are thirsty today? Thirsty for truth? Thirsty for recognition? Thirsty to make a difference? Thirsty to leave a legacy? It's the same in today's world, saying, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for success. I'm hungry for achievement. It's the same thing in today's age. Verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's turn to Mark 15. Mark 15. Verse 33. My often says it, but it's quite lucky hearing those pages getting turned. It's really nice. Mark 15, verse 33. At noon... Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. You see, guys, the cross isn't something quiet. The cross is, the cross is extremely painful. It's not something quiet. Karen reading. Jesus cried out 
in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elisha. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine and vinegar and put it on his staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elisha comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Gerson of the temple was torn to from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man is the son of God. I'm hoping today, ma'am, I'm hoping today, sir, if you have faith, if you've walked far from God, that after today's message, you can say, Surely this is the son of God. Seven things I want to share with us this morning. You can put it up on the board because I want us to say it together. These are the seven sayings in order of what was said of Jesus before he died. And I want us to say it together. Let's say the first one together. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Number two, today I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Number three, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Number four, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's just stop there for a second. We've read in the Gospels that Jesus said this in a loud voice. Let's say that again together, a little bit louder. Number four, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Number five, I am thirsty. Number six, it is finished. Number seven, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Thank you. Seven things that I want to quickly share with us this morning. The first thing we noticed, in the midst of his life and in the midst of what he was going through, the first three statements he makes has got nothing to do with himself but of other people and not of himself. Incredible, hey? First thing, Father, forgive them. Second thing, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And the third thing he does is he puts his mother into a family. He's completely unconcerned about his own situation. And I think we'll never build a a New Testament church while people are being entertained, while maybe we here suiting your needs, trying to make your children happy in the best Christian Freedom Kids Church. You see, friends, you are not here for your sake. You're here for other people's sake. And I say that again. You're not here, friends, for your sake. You're here for other people's sake. I think we can't build a New Testament church of consumerism. We have to build a New Testament church where people sacrifice their life and dreams for the better of other people. What do I I mean by this? I, I think it's believed and sometimes seen that ministries and some churches have become more like companies, and they, they treat their congregants as customers. So why have you come here to church? I've come to church to get something out of it. Or I've come to church to be entertained. Rather than the primary motive you should come to church is to worship Jesus with other believers. Brilliant. Brilliant. That, friends, is the cross of Christ. We take our eyes off ourselves, off our marriages, off our families, and put it onto other people. My notes, how can I, Clinton, make sure that you're okay? Eyes off myself, onto you. So number one, their father forgive them for they know not what they do. In Acts 1 to 6, it's all about the leaders and the apostles getting the church established. 
And in the chapters, there's a, name, a name, man named Stephen, a man who wasn't quite in the inner circle. And yes, Stephen starts to speak about Jesus. He was the first man that wasn't in full-time ministry starting to speak about Jesus. And most of us, I think, here yeah, are not going to be in full-time ministry. But maybe your full-time ministry is that marketing manager, that director, that doctor, that teacher, that nursery school teacher. Maybe that is your full-time ministry. And in the midst of the crisis of Stephen's life, when he was getting rocks thrown at him, verse 60, it says, he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold these sins against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. See, because he had seen what Jesus had done on the cross, and he applied it to his life. Friends, I think the greatest gift we can give to Benoni is forgiveness. Sure, it's hard, eh? Oh, that said something about me on that. That said that, that he did that, and who do we have to forgive today? Greatest gift we can give Benoni is forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Second thing. He says, today I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. These were the words of Jesus to the thief next to him on the cross. You see, guys, the guy's arms and feet were nailed to the cross. He could do absolutely nothing. See, the religious environment of Benoni, where we think somehow our salvation is linked to our efforts. What to do, what not to do. That's going to get me my salvation. That's going to earn my salvation. I need to assure you today your salvation is by grace. He's a criminal, he's been charged, he's been convicted, and he's been dying because of what he's done. Nothing he could do except appeal to Jesus. And Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. I wish today I could nail your hands and feet to the cross and say, if you believe in Jesus, you'll be with him in paradise. Stop all religious behaviors. Stop all human efforts. And just trust Jesus. Number three, Jesus says, dear woman, this is your son. Dear son, this is your mother. See, Jesus was busy putting a spiritual family together around the cross. A family centered around him. We're all different. We all come from different backgrounds. But a spiritual family he was putting together. John 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, Yeah, he's your son. And to the disciple, yeah, he's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. See, racism and prejudice gets dealt with at the cross. None of us, we prayed it this this morning at prayer meeting, was incredible. What are we thankful for? That we're all here equal on a a, a Sunday. None of us are on higher ground than anyone else. It doesn't matter what your qualifications are. It doesn't matter if you sharpen pencils. It doesn't matter what your bank balance is. Doesn't matter if you're a bus driver. We look at Jesus and he puts us into a spiritual family. Not a biological family, but a spiritual family where we can take care of one another. How are you caring for that person in your spiritual family? Capital letters. How are you caring for them? Not your pastor. I asked Daryl caring for them. No, you. How are you caring for your spiritual family? You see, yeah, at Freedom Family, this is your spiritual family. It then says, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, 
My God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, Jesus is saying, my God, my Father, you have rejected me. Four greatest fears, I think, of man in life. Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of intimacy. Intimacy is into me. You see, it's actually like the fear of being vulnerable. And number four, fear of losing control. Jesus died and dealt with all four of these things at the cross. And when the devil thought Jesus was losing control, this was actually Jesus' greatest victory. When we put our confidence in the cross, instead of losing control, we actually gain true meaning in our lives. Instead of trying to control everything, let go and just give it to God. Number five, I'm thirsty. It's going to be a short service. Hang on here with me. Seven life-changing statements that can build a local church here in Benoni that can seriously bless our city. I'm thirsty. Jesus went to the garden and he pleaded with his father, Father, please take this cup away from me. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And if you look through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one of the drinks they, they offered Jesus of the cross is wine with myrrh inside of it. Myrrh was a kind of painkiller. They said to Jesus, yeah, Jesus, have a panada. Just have a little panada. But yeah, Jesus had been beaten. I still remember when Passion of the Cross came out. It was going around. I still remember my mom saying, yo, a lot of people walked out on the big screen because I don't think it was that bad. It was worse. Jesus had been beaten almost to the point of death. He carried his cross. He fell on his face. He tripped. Yeah, our Savior's chest was crushed. He had hit the deck several times. We spoke about it outside there this morning. He had these flesh wounds coming out of his back. His back was bruised. And they say, Jesus, would you like a panada? Would you like something a little bit stronger? And I reckon he looked up at the congregation of Freedom Church in a little school hall, and he thought, that divorce over there, that rejection over there, Maybe that child abuse over there, that rape case over there, that bitterness over there. I will not take a painkiller for that. I will take the full brunt of it, and I'll take it upon myself. I heard a story from Rory about a man named Kerat. He went to the army with this man, and he slept next to him. But this man had broken knees. And every time they did exercise, Kerat would crawl behind him because his knees were so sore. But this oak had an amazing big heart. One day he woke up, and he didn't wake up because of the pain of his knees was so sore, but the pain of his heart was even sorer because he overdosed on painkillers. And Rory tried to wake him up, but he couldn't, so he quickly called for the medics. They rushed him off to hospital, and they just saved his life. That man went to the border, and there was a fire on the armory. Everybody ran but Gerard. He went in, and he put the fire out. He got the second highest medal of bravery the SA army could ever give. You see, he had pain. But he had a great heart. God knows that. Sometimes you want to send your pain away with painkillers. Jesus never took a painkiller. So he could take your pain and release the Holy Spirit inside of you. I want to say that whatever you might be going through, whatever pain you might be facing, don't try and numb it. Because the Holy Spirit will be there to empower you. People often look at a Christian and they think, yes, what you're going through now I don't know how you're doing it. And they say, but it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want to numb it yeah. with painkillers. He takes the full brunt. 
of your brokenness. They then take a thing from the hyssop tree and they take a sponge. Now there was only one reason for a sponge during those times. They had public toilets there and people would use the sponge to wipe their bums at the public toilet. Then the servant would put the sponge on a stick, put it in running water, turn it three times, put that sponge back down so another person could go and wipe their bums with that sponge. They took that sponge of human increments, stuck that sponge into a wine jar, stuck that into Jesus' mouth. That was the last kind of taste Jesus had was human excrement and bits of wine. And he swallowed everything that man could throw at him. And he answered these words over your life. It is finished. It does ring into your mind. It is finished. Your abuse, your pride, your divorce, your pornography, Jesus swallowed the whole lot. It is finished. Don't numb it. Don't numb it. Jesus didn't numb it. He swallowed it. And he said these words, one of the greatest words in the Bible, the word tetelesti, which means it is finished. All the work is complete. All the junk that you and I have done or produced, all the social wrongdoings, all failures, disappointments, Jesus swallowed them and said it is finished. It's done. You know what's amazing about that? It's, it's in the past, it's in the present, it's in the finished, in the future. It's finished, it's complete. So what Jesus did on the cross was a complete work, past, present, and futures. With a loud voice, he cries, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. See, it was a price to be paid for sin. A price was handed over by Jesus into the hands of the Father who offended sin. So Jesus deposited his life into the Father's hands to pay the price of all sinners. So Jesus said, instead of their lives, instead of their souls, take mine as the punishment for sin. I honestly believe we can commit our lives into the Father's hands because we can trust the work Jesus has done on the cross. We can trust the work that Jesus has done on the cross. Maybe today, you need to make a fresh commitment of committing your life into the Father's hands. Amen.